Book 7, Chapters 6 and 7 of The Wars of the Jews. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wars of the Jews by Josephus. Translated by William Whiston. Chapters 6 and 7. Chapter 6. Concerning Macarus, and how Lucilius Bassus took that citadel and other places. 1. Now Lucilius Bassus was sent as legate into Judea, and there he received the army from Serialis Vitellianus, and took that citadel which was in Herodium, together with the garrison that was in it. After which he got together all the soldiery that was there, which was a large body, but dispersed into several parties, with the tenth legion, and resolved to make war upon Macarus, for it was highly necessary that this citadel should be demolished, lest it might be a means of drawing away many into a rebellion, by reason of its strength. For the nature of the place was very capable of affording the surest hopes of safety to those that possessed it, as well as delay and fear to those that should attack it. For what was walled in was itself a very rocky hill, elevated to a very great height, which circumstance alone made it very hard to be subdued. It was also so contrived by nature, that it could not be easily ascended, for it is, as it were, ditched about with such valleys on all sides, and to such a depth, that the eye cannot reach their bottoms, and such as are not easily to be passed over, and even such as it is impossible to fill up with earth. For that valley which cuts it on the west extends to threescore furlongs, and did not end till it came to the lake Asphaltitis. On the same side it was also that Macarus had the tallest top of its hill elevated above the rest. But then for the valleys that lay on the north and south sides, although they be not so large as that already described, yet it is in like manner an impracticable thing to think of getting over them. And for the valley that lies on the east side, its depth is found to be no less than a hundred cubits. It extends as far as a mountain that lies over against Macarus, with which it is bounded. 2. Now when Alexander, Janius, the king of the Jews, observed the nature of this place, he was the first who built a citadel there, which afterwards was demolished by Gabinius, when he made war against Aristobulus. But when Herod came to be king, he thought the place to be worthy of the utmost regard, and of being built upon in the firmest manner, and this especially because it lay so near to Arabia, for it is seated in a convenient place on that account, and hath a prospect toward that country. He therefore surrounded a large space of ground with walls and towers, and built a city there, out of which city there was a way that led up to the very citadel itself on the top of the mountain. Nay, more than this, he built a wall round that top of the hill, and erected towers at the corners of a hundred and sixty cubits high in the middle of which place he built a palace, after a magnificent manner, wherein were large and beautiful edifices. He also made a great many reservoirs for the reception of water, that there might be plenty of it ready for all uses, and those in the properest places that were afforded him there. Thus did he, as it were, contend with the nature of the place, that he might exceed its natural strength and security, which yet itself rendered it hard to be taken, by those fortifications which were made by the hands of men. Moreover, he put a large quantity of darts and other machines of war into it, 
and contrived to get everything thither that might any way contribute to its inhabitants' security, under the longest siege possible. 3. Now within this place there grew a sort of rue that deserves our wonder on account of its largeness. Footnote. Spanheim observes here that in Gratia Major and Sicily they had rue prodigiously great and durable, like this rue at Macarus. And footnote for it was no way inferior to any fig-tree whatsoever, either in height or in thickness, and the report is that it had lasted ever since the times of Herod, and would probably have lasted much longer, had it not been cut down by those Jews who took possession of the place afterward. But still in that valley which encompasses the city on the north side, there is a certain place called Baris, which produces a root of the same name with itself, its color is like to that of flame, and towards the evenings it sends out a certain ray like lightning. It is not easily taken by such as would do it, but recedes from their hands, nor will yield itself to be taken quietly, until either the urine of a woman or her menstrual blood be poured upon it. Nay, even then it is certain death to those that touch it, unless any one take and hang the root itself down from his hand, and so carry it away. It may also be taken another way, without danger, which is this. They dig a trench quite around it, till the hidden part of the root be very small. They then tie a dog to it, and when the dog tries hard to follow him that tied him, this root is easily plucked up, but the dog dies immediately, as if it were instead of the man that would take the plant away. Nor after this need any one be afraid of taking it into their hands." Yet, after all this pains in getting, it is only valuable on account of one virtue it hath, that if it be only brought to sick persons, it quickly drives away those called demons, which are no other than the spirits of the wicked, that enter into men that are alive, and kill them, unless they can obtain some help against them. Footnote. This strange account of the place and root, Barris, seems to have been taken from the magicians, and the root to have been made use of in the days of Josephus, in that superstitious way of casting out demons, supposed by him to have been derived from King Solomon, of which we have already seen he had a great opinion. We also may hence learn the true notion Josephus had of demons and demoniacs, exactly like that of the Jews and Christians in the New Testament and the first four centuries. End footnote. Here are also fountains of hot water that flow out of this place, which have a very different taste one from the other, for some of them are bitter, and others of them are plainly sweet. Here are also many eruptions of cold waters, and this not only in the places that lie lower, and have their fountains near one another, but, what is still more wonderful, here is to be seen a certain cave hard by, whose cavity is not deep, but it is covered over by a rock that is prominent. Above this rock there stand up two hills or breasts, as it were, but a little distant one from another, the one of which sends out a fountain that is very cold, and the other sends out one that is very hot, which waters, when they are mingled together, compose a most pleasant bath. They are medicinal indeed for other maladies, but especially good for strengthening the nerves. This place has in it also mines of sulphur and alum. 4. Now when Bassus had taken a full view of this place, he resolved to besiege it, by filling up the valley that lay on the east side. So he fell hard to work, and took great pains to raise his banks as soon as possible, 
and by that means to render the siege easy. As for the Jews that were caught in this place, they separated themselves from the strangers that were with them, and they forced those strangers, as an otherwise useless multitude, to stay in the lower part of the city, and undergo the principal dangers, while they themselves seized on the upper citadel and held it, and this both on account of its strength, and to provide for their own safety. They also supposed they might obtain their pardon, in case they should at last surrender the citadel. However, they were willing to make trial, in the first place, whether the hopes they had of avoiding a siege would come to anything, with which intention they made sallies every day, and fought with those that met them, in which conflicts they were many of them slain, as they therein slew many of the Romans. But still it was the opportunities that presented themselves which chiefly gained both sides their victories. These were gained by the Jews, when they fell upon the Romans as they were off their guard, but by the Romans, when, upon the others' sallies against their banks, they foresaw their coming, and were upon their lard when they received them. But the conclusion of this siege did not depend upon these bickerings, but a certain surprising accident, relating to what was done in this siege, forced the Jews to surrender the citadel. There was a certain young man among the besieged, of great boldness, and very active of his hand. His name was Eleazar. He greatly signalized himself in those sallies, and encouraged the Jews to go out in great numbers, in order to hinder the raising of the banks, and did the Romans a vast deal of mischief when they came to fighting. He so managed matters, that those who sallied out made their attacks easily, and returned back without danger, and this by still bringing up the rear himself. Now it happened that, on a certain time, when the fight was over, and both sides were parted, and retired home, he, in way of contempt of the enemy, and thinking that none of them would begin the fight again at that time, stayed without the gates, and talked with those that were upon the wall, and his mind was wholly intent upon what they said. Now a certain person belonging to the Roman camp, whose name was Rufus, by birth an Egyptian, ran upon him suddenly, when nobody expected such a thing, and carried him off, with his armor itself. While, in the meantime, those that saw it from the wall were under such an amazement, that Rufus prevented their assistance, and carried Eleazar to the Roman camp. So the general of the Romans ordered that he should be taken up naked, set before the city to be seen, and sorely whipped before their eyes. Upon this sad accident that befell the young man, the Jews were terribly confounded, and the city, with one voice, sorely lamented him, and the mourning proved greater than could well be supposed upon the calamity of a single person. When Bassus perceived that, he began to think of using a stratagem against the enemy, and was desirous to aggravate their grief, in order to prevail with them to surrender the city for the preservation of that man. Nor did he fail of his hope, for he commanded them to set up a cross, as if he were just going to hang Eleazar upon it immediately. The sight of this occasioned a sore grief among those that were in the citadel, and they groaned vehemently, and cried out that they would not bear to see him thus destroyed. Whereupon Eleazar besought them not to disregard him, now he was going to suffer a most miserable death, and exhorted them to save themselves, by yielding to the Roman power and good fortune, since all other people were now conquered by them. These men were greatly moved with what he said, 
there being also many within the city that interceded for him, because he was of an eminent and very numerous family. So they now yielded to their passion of commiseration, contrary to their usual custom. Accordingly they sent out immediately certain messengers, and treated with the Romans in order to a surrender of the citadel to them, and desired that they might be permitted to go away, and take Eleazar along with them. Then did the Romans and their general accept of these terms, while the multitude of strangers that were in the lower part of the city, hearing of the agreement that was made by the Jews for themselves alone, were resolved to fly away privately in the night-time. But as soon as they had opened their gates, those that had come to terms with Bassus told him of it. Whether it were that they envied the other's deliverance, or whether it were done out of fear, lest an occasion should be taken against them upon their escape, is uncertain. The most courageous, therefore, of these men that went out, prevented the enemy, and got away, and fled for it. But for those men that were caught within, they... Rest of text is lost. 5. When Bassus had settled these affairs, he marched hastily to the forest of Jardin, as it is called for he had heard that a great many of those that had fled from Jerusalem and Machaerus formerly were there gotten together. When he was therefore come to the place, and understood that the former news was no mistake, he, in the first place, surrounded the whole place with his horsemen, that such of the Jews as had boldness enough to try to break through might have no way possible for escaping, by reason of the situation of those horsemen, and for the footmen, he ordered them to cut down the trees that were in the wood whither they were fled. So the Jews were under a necessity of performing some glorious exploit, and of greatly exposing themselves in a battle, since they might perhaps thereby escape. So they made a general attack, and with a great shout fell upon those that surrounded them, who received them with great courage. And so, while the one side fought desperately, and the others would not yield, the fight was prolonged on that account. But the event of the battle did not answer the expectation of the assailants, for so it happened that no more than twelve fell on the Roman side, with a few that were wounded. But not one of the Jews escaped out of this battle, but they were all killed, being in the whole not fewer in number than three thousand, together with Judas the son of Jairus their general, concerning whom we have before spoken, that he had been a captain of a certain band at the siege of Jerusalem, and by going down into a certain vault underground, had privately made his escape. 6. About the same time it was that Caesar sent a letter to Bassus, and to Liberius Maximus, who was the procurator of Judea, and gave order that all Judea should be exposed to sale, for he did not found any city there, but reserved the country for himself. Footnote. It is very remarkable that Titus did not people this now desolate country of Judea, but ordered it to be all sold. Nor indeed is it properly peopled at this day, but lies ready for its old inhabitants the Jews and their future restoration. End footnote. However, he assigned a place for eight hundred men only, whom he had dismissed from his army, which he gave them for their habitation. It is called Emmaus, and is distant from Jerusalem threescore furlongs. Footnote. That the city Emmaus, or Arandus, in Josephus and others, which was the place of the government of Julius Africanus, were slain, to the number of one thousand seven hundred, as were the women and the children made slaves. 
but as Bassus thought he must perform the covenant he had made with those that had surrendered the citadel, he let them go, and restored Eleazar to them, in the beginning of the third century, and which he then procured to be rebuilt, and after which rebuilding it was called Nicopolis, is entirely different from that Emmaus which is mentioned by St. Luke 24.13, and under the name Amaeus also. But he justly thinks that that in St. Luke may well be the same with his Amaeus before us, especially since the Greek copies here usually make it sixty furlongs distant from Jerusalem, as does St. Luke, though the Latin copies say only thirty. The place also allotted for these eight hundred soldiers, as for a Roman garrison, in this place, would most naturally be not so remote from Jerusalem, as was the other Emmaus, or Nicopolis. End footnote. He also laid a tribute upon the Jews wheresoever they were, and enjoined every one of them to bring two drachmae every year into the capital, as they used to pay the same to the temple at Jerusalem. And this was the state of the Jewish affairs at this time. Chapter 7. Concerning the calamity that befell Antiochus, king of Comagene, as also concerning the Alans and what great mischiefs they did to the Medes and Armenians. 1. And now, in the fourth year of the reign of Vespasian, it came to pass that Antiochus, the king of Comagene, with all his family, fell into very great calamities. The occasion was this. Sisenius Pettus, who was president of Syria at this time, whether it were done out of regard to truth, or whether out of hatred to Antiochus, for which was the real motive was never thoroughly discovered, sent an epistle to Caesar, and therein told him that Antiochus, with his son Epiphanes, had resolved to rebel against the Romans, and had made a league with the king of Parthia to that purpose, that it was therefore fit to prevent them, lest they prevent us, and begin such a war as may cause a general disturbance in the Roman Empire. Now Caesar was disposed to take some care about the matter, since this discovery was made, for the neighborhood of the kingdoms made this affair worthy of greater regard. For Samoseta, the capital of Comagene, lies upon Euphrates, and upon any such design could afford an easy passage over it to the Parthians, and could also afford them a secure reception. Petus was accordingly believed, and had authority given him of doing what he should think proper in the case. So he set about it without delay, and fell upon Comagene before Antiochus and the people had the least expectation of his coming. He had with him the tenth legion, as also some cohorts and troops of horsemen. These kings also came to his assistance, Aristobulus, king of the country called Chalcedane, and Sohamus, who was called king of Emesa. Nor was there any opposition made to his forces when they entered the kingdom, for no one of that country would so much as lift up his hand against them. When Antiochus heard this unexpected news, he could not think in the least of making war with the Romans, but determined to leave his whole kingdom in the state wherein it now was, and to retire privately with his wife and children, as thinking thereby to demonstrate himself to the Romans, to be innocent as to the accusation laid against him. So he went away from that city as far as a hundred and twenty furlongs into a plain, and there pitched his tents. 2. Petus then sent some of his men to seize upon Samosate, and by their means took possession of that city, while he went himself to attack Antiochus with the rest of his army. 
However, the king was not prevailed upon by the distress he was in to do anything in the way of war against the Romans, but bemoaned his own hard fate, and endured with patience what he was not able to prevent. But his sons, who were young and unexperienced in war, but of strong bodies, were not easily induced to bear this calamity without fighting. Epiphanes, therefore, and Callinicus betook themselves to military force, and as the battle was a sore one, and lasted all the day long, they showed their own valor in a remarkable manner, and nothing but the approach of night put a period thereto, and that without any diminution of their forces. Yet would not Antiochus, upon this conclusion of the fight, continue there by any means, but took his wife and his daughters, and fled away with them to Cilicia, and by so doing quite discouraged the minds of his own soldiers. Accordingly they revolted, and went over to the Romans, out of the despair they were in of his keeping the kingdom. And his case was looked upon by all as quite desperate. It was therefore necessary that Epiphanes and his soldiers should get clear of their enemies before they became entirely destitute of any confederates. Nor were there any more than ten horsemen with him, who passed with him over Euphrates, whence they went undisturbed to Vologeses, the king of Parthia, where they were not disregarded as fugitives, but had the same respect paid them as if they had retained their ancient prosperity. 3. Now when Antiochus was come to Tarsus in Cilicia, Petus ordered a centurion to go to him and sent him in bonds to Rome. However, Vespasian could not endure to have a king brought to him in that manner, but thought it fit rather to have a regard to the ancient friendship that had been between them, than to preserve an inexorable anger upon pretense of this war. Accordingly he gave orders that they should take off his bonds, while he was still upon the road, and that he should not come to Rome, but should now go and live at Lacedaemon. He also gave him large revenues, that he might not only live in plenty, but like a king also. When Epiphanes, who before was in great fear for his father, was informed of this, their minds were freed from that great and almost incurable concern they had been under. He also hoped that Caesar would be reconciled to them upon the intercession of Vologeses, for although he lived in plenty, he knew not how to bear living out of the Roman Empire. So Caesar gave him leave, after an obliging manner, and he came to Rome, and as his father came quickly to him from Lacedaemon, he had all sorts of respect paid him there, and there he remained. 4. Now there was a nation of the Alans, which we have formerly mentioned somewhere as being Scythians, and inhabiting at the Lake Maotis. This nation about this time laid a design of falling upon Media, and the parts beyond it, in order to plunder them. With much intention they treated with the king of Hyrcania, for he was master of that passage which King Alexander the Great shut up with iron gates. This king gave them leave to come through them, so they came in great multitudes, and fell upon the Medes unexpectedly, and plundered their country, which they found full of people, and replenished with abundance of cattle, while nobody durst make any resistance against them. For Peoris, the king of the country, had fled away for fear into places where they could not easily come at him, and had yielded up everything he had to them, and had only saved his wife and his concubines from them, and that with difficulty also, after they had been made captives, by giving them a hundred talents for their ransom. These Alans, therefore, plundered the country without opposition and with great ease, 
and proceeded as far as Armenia, laying all waste before them. Now Tiridates was king of that country, who met them and fought them, but had like to have been taken alive in the battle. For a certain man threw a net over him from a great distance, and had soon drawn him to him, unless he had immediately cut the cord with his sword and ran away and prevented it. So the Alans, being still more provoked by this sight, laid waste the country, and drove a great multitude of the men, and a great quantity of the other prey they had gotten out of both kingdoms, along with them, and then retreated back to their own country. End of Book 7, Chapters 6 and 7